Lord Jesus, you indeed are our good shepherd. And you invite us to pray from the heart for whatever is is on our minds. And we thank you for that privilege of prayer, and we pray that you would take us deeper in our prayer walk together in these 40 days of prayer. In your name we ask this, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Has this ever happened to you? Somebody calls on the phone, you answer, and they just start talking. They never identify themselves, and then they just start talking, and you don't really know exactly who it is. They assume that you knew who it was, that you would recognize their voice, but you really don't. And isn't that a little frustrating? You know, why, tell me who you are so I can understand this conversation better. Well, I'll tell you one that was even worse. I called somebody one time, and I said, this is Alan Rose now, and I started talking and so on, and, and then partway into the conversation, the person said to me, who do you think you're talking to? I had called the wrong person, and I assumed I knew who I was talking to, and it was totally the wrong person. And you know, when, when you don't know who you're talking to, um, you can make some wrong assumptions, and you can say some things that maybe aren't exactly appropriate. Knowing who you're talking to is important. And that's true in prayer as well. Knowing whom we're talking to is important in prayer. We're in this 40 days of prayer emphasis, and we want to go deep in our, in our understanding of our prayer life. And we need to recognize that our understanding of what God is like shapes everything about us, including our prayer life. Let me say that again. Our understanding of what God is like shapes everything about us, including our prayer life. If we make wrong assumptions about who God is, that's going to uh, uh, shape our prayers. In fact, we might end up with some rather misguided prayers. If I assume, for example, that God is just this distant, impersonal force or entity out there who doesn't really care about me, about me personally, my prayers are going to be pretty impersonal and probably not very heartfelt. If I believe about God that, that he is kind of like uh, uh, my magic genie who's going to grant me every wish, then I, my prayers are going to take on a rather self-centered nature. I'm going to ask for whatever I want personally, selfishly, believing he's going to give me everything. But that's a wrong understanding of what God is like. Our thinking about God shapes our prayer life. So we need to know what God is really like. Do you want to know what God the Father is really like? Here's the clue. Look at Jesus. He shows us what God is really like. Jesus shows us God the Father's character. We, don't, we haven't seen God the Father, but Jesus shows us what God is like. Now, how do we see Jesus so that we can see the Father? We see him in the Word. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, that is, God the Father. But, catch this, God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Who's God the one and only who is at the Father's side? Jesus, the Son of God. 
is at the Father's side, and he's the one who makes God the Father known to us. So if we want to know what God is really like, the one to whom we direct our prayers, you see, we look at Jesus. How do we look at Jesus? We go to the books of the Bible that describe Jesus, particularly the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that give us a biography, if you will, of the life of Jesus. But more than that, they show us the character of Jesus. And in turn, that shows us the character of the Heavenly Father. And when we study the life of Jesus, the chief characteristic that stands out about him and therefore about God the Father is that he is good. He is good. The first takeaway from this message is that Jesus shows us God the Father's character. The second takeaway from the message today is this. We pray to a good God. We pray to a good God. And that is reinforced throughout Scripture. In Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, The Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. If our understanding of God is that he is somehow evil or not good, we misunderstand the true nature of God. Look at Jesus, who is perfectly good. He shows us what God is really like. God's fundamental characteristic is that he is good. Of course, there are many who would accuse God of not being good, of being evil, of being the cause of all the problems that we see in the world. They blame God for everything that they see that is not good. But is that really fair? Friends, if there is any evil in the world, if there is any wrong in the world, that's not God's doing. It is the result of God's enemy, the evil one, Satan, who's hard at work to cause all kinds of problems in the world. It was the evil one who tempted the first human beings, Adam and Eve, into sin. And through the fall into sin, we've seen all of its terrible consequences. Hatred, murder, death, sadness, loneliness, you name it. Fill in the blanks. It's all due to the fact that the evil one, Satan, has led sin into this world. And the consequences are devastating. But God himself is always good. And he always does good. He always acts out of good for our benefit. We heard that in the epistle lessons for today. In Romans 8, verse 28, St. Paul said, And we know that in all things, not in some things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is always working for our good. And his goodness, of course, is seen most clearly in how he treats us in relation to our sins, our failings, our wrongs. And yes, we all have them. Let's be honest, we all have them. But God's goodness is seen in how he treats us in relation to our sins. And how does he treat us? Psalm 103 says it so beautifully. God has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. In his goodness, he has taken our sins away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? 
That's two points in the opposite direction for all infinity. That's how far God has cast away our sins from us. That's how much he loves us. That's how good our gracious God is. In John chapter 10, we hear the voice of Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, long before there were screens like this to show imagery, the church historically used other kinds of images to teach stained glass windows. We have stained glass windows, some on this side, some on this side, some up here. And you'll notice that our stained glass windows reflect the the good shepherd theme. These reflect Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The windows behind the choir on this side are right from these words of Jesus when he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And in between the two sets of windows is the cross that reflects those final words. And I lay down my life for the sheep. How good is God? He's as good as our Savior who gave his very life that you and I might have our sins forgiven. He's as good as a God who would give up his own innocent son so that we who deserve punishment might be forgiven and free and accepted and received into our eternal kingdom with him. Talk about a good and gracious God. So whom are we talking to in prayer? We're talking to a good God. The third takeaway is this. We need to remember that when we pray, we pray to our Father. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. If you've been in the 40 days of prayer small group Bible studies, you know that this past week, the main lesson for this past week focused on the word Father in the phrase, our Father. And it talked about the fact that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is a caring Father who truly cares about all of our circumstances. We talked about the fact that He is a consistent Father. He doesn't change. He's not fickle. He's consistent in His love for us. We can rely on Him because He's consistent. That He's a close Father who's always with us and attentive to our needs. And the fact that He is a competent Father, a Father who's capable of doing what we can't do for ourselves. But this morning, as we think about the phrase, our Father, I want to focus today on the first word, our. Our Father. I think it's interesting. Jesus didn't teach his disciples to pray that particular prayer, my Father, who art in heaven. He taught them, our Father. That one simple little word speaks of community. It speaks of connectedness. It speaks of a people of God who are united as one in faith and in prayer. Our Father. We are together as one. It really speaks of Christian unity. It underscores the fact that through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we have been united as one people. The Holy Christian Church 
the communion of saints, as we say in the creed, consists of all true believers in Jesus, both in heaven and on earth, as one family in Christ. We are united by the baptism we share, baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, the triune God. And that unity that we've been given is a wonderful gift from God not to be taken for granted, something to be treasured and maintained. St. Paul writes about this Christian unity in his letter to the Ephesians. Listen to these wonderful words. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. Notice how many times he says one. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head That is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Notice in that passage from St. Paul the emphasis on unity, the number of times he uses the word one, that we are united in Christ Jesus in our faith in him. And then he references the body of Christ building itself up. How? Through love. Through the love that we ourselves have received from God in Jesus Christ at the cross. The love that then is to spill out toward one another. A love that sees each other not as enemies, not as distant uh, acquaintances, but sees each and every one in our fellowship as a brother and sister in Christ. Friends, we pray to our Father together. I think Paul is saying, be diligent about your unity. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Our Father, friends, calls us to live in unity and love. And as I look at our shared ministry here at Shepherd of the Desert, I believe that this needs to be our top priority in the weeks and months that lie ahead of us as we go forward uh, as a congregation together, our unity and our love for one another. What does that look like? What do unity and love look like at Shepherd of the Desert Lutheran Church and school. I want us to be pondering that question and ask ourselves, what part does each of us need to play to build that sense of oneness and love as the community of Christ here in this place? I believe uh, pastors serve various different roles, but one of the roles that a pastor serves is the role of watchman. That's a biblical term. It goes back to Bible times when Watchmen were placed on the walls of the temple to look out over the countryside to see if any enemies were approaching to attack the city and destroy the temple of God. 
the watchmen would see the enemies and issue a warning to the community so that they could take proper action. Well, I'd like to issue something of a watchman's warning, if you will, today. We are in a time of transition and change here at Shepherd of the Desert Lutheran Church and School. Obviously, we're in a time of pastoral transition. We've faced some challenges and changes in relation to our school ministry. I believe, friends, that at times of transition are times of vulnerability. And the enemy, Satan, seizes upon those moments of vulnerability to try to cause division, disunity, dissension, to try to cause people to turn against one another, all for the purpose of undermining the gospel message, undermining the mission of taking the message of Jesus out into the world. We dare not let that happen. My watchman's warning is to us to be on guard against the work of the enemy. And remember, the enemy is not people. The enemy is not our fellow church members. The enemy is an invisible force, a fallen angel who's hell-bent literally on destroying the church. And he wants to destroy us as well. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the powers of darkness. And he is at work. So here's my watchman's call to follow the watchman's warning. The watchman call is this. It's a call to greater unity and love for one another. And unity and love begins not on a congregation level. Catch this. Unity begins right here in the individual heart and mind of each and every one of us. That's where it begins. It begins with our own thoughts, how we think about each other. That's where it begins. Because our thoughts then precede our actions and our words. And if our thinking is wrong, our words and our actions are going to be wrong. I want to challenge all of us to take consideration to our thinking. How do we think about one another? Do we automatically assume that other people in the church have wrong motives? And do we judge them for those wrong motives? You know, the word prejudice is not simply related to racial issues. It means to prejudge someone else's heart without really knowing their heart. And that becomes destructive. So I want to issue this call for unity and a call for love. And that requires a few things. It requires genuine humility, acknowledging we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. It also requires respect, gentleness and respect in the way that we talk to and treat each other. It also calls us to a willingness to listen to one another, to listen to understand that person's point of view, even if we disagree. And there are going to be times when we disagree even in the church. There's room for different points of view. But what is not acceptable is to seek to destroy another person without listening and understanding where they're coming from. We need to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, to view each other as fellow members of one body that God has brought together here in this place. You know, I have loved this church. I continue to love this church. This is a church made up of wonderful wonderful people. 
And I know that we can do better than we've done over the last few years. I know that we can cast a new vision that involves a greater sense of unity and love centered on one mission and one purpose together. And I would like us to begin conversations of how we do that more effectively. How can we be truly united for the sake of the gospel? May the Lord bless us as we pray together our Father who art in heaven. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we gather the offerings for the Lord's work. Would you also write your name and other information in the black registration booklet in the pew and pass that to your neighbor, please?